This is Coda Radio, episode 516 for May 1st, 2023. friend, welcome into Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris, and probably over there cooking up a great batch of chicken wings, it's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, and I want to reiterate, my food does not poison people. I'll, I'll vouch. If you want to cook me up a batch, I'll vouch. Right. There may have been some uh, Reddit lies going on, but my food is good food. I have not poisoned anybody. And uh, you should eat my grilled chicken. So if we hear hurling in the background and the sound of flushing from family members, we're going to assume it is your average stomach bug and nothing to do with the chicken that was cooked last night on Mike's grill. That's just what we're going to assume. I will also say that there was ice cream consumed. Just saying, you know. Yeah. You know we, what? we did have a party for my son's birthday this weekend. Oh, happy birthday. So, you know, there was a, there was a lot of chicanery. <laughs> Can't blame the chicken. A lot of junk. A lot, a lot of, of junk, junk on them birthdays. My son's birthday a couple of weekends ago. Oh, good. That's fun. That's fun. So, uh, tell me, did you guys play a little Jedi Survivor for the birthday? Was that something you're doing on your own? Oh, doing it. Yeah, well, I played it after. Jedi Survivor is epic. Is it? It is probably the best PS5 game I've played in a while. Yeah, it looks real good. I'm not going to buy a PlayStation, but it looks real good. Well, it's on everything, though, so. Is it going to be on PC? It already is. Oh. Yes. It probably runs better on Proton than it does on Windows, so. To be honest, though, I have the last version, the first the first game, and I haven't. I haven't oh, Jedi, yeah, Fallen Yeah, Survivor leans into the sad, very, very sad Jedi guy being sad. Because it's right before New Hope, basically. It's between them. Oh, fascinating. And he's like, it's weird because you know how this ends. Uh, spoilers, not well for the him. Still can be compelling, though. Uh, yeah. This is something when the Star Wars universe gets it right. It's so good. And um, this just looks like a, a technical divorce as far as like graphics and all the other little games and knobs that they've added. But I noticed when I watch Mandor, it's fun. You know, it's kind of, all right, it's good. It's like it's in the Star Wars world. And then when I watch Andor, I want to watch, I want to watch Rogue One. I want to watch all the movies. I wanted to go watch the Book of Boba Fett and, and, and the Obi-Wan TV series that I avoided. Like it may, and this game too, Jedi Survivor, it makes you want to just live in that universe more. It's so well done when they nail it. It's really immersive. Uh, My problem is, is if I'm going to be spending the money, on a video game right now, I got to recognize the fact that the new Zelda game comes out in a few days, like a week or two. Oh, already? Yeah, man. It's in like, it's like middle of May or something. And it's looking so good. They kept the, they kept the world, but they've just built a whole bunch of stuff and new game mechanics and a new crafting mechanic. And, oh, it just looks incredible. So there you go. Little game of radio right there. (laughs) There you go. Get it in. I, I just, uh, I love I love the escapism sometimes. It's just just what I need on occasion when I do actually get time to sit down and play. And the nice nice thing about some of these games is up on the TV you can kind of make it a social thing. Well, we got a real whopper of an email. I'm going to keep them anonymous, but Commander Riker leaks in and says, "We just wanted to anonymously drop this interesting paper from some internal Google research on how ChatGPT and Bard will essentially be won out." By open source large language models. Big fan of the shows. Keep it up. I'll just say this. We'll have more details in the show notes, but this is a real whopper. If you're watching the live version over on Jupiter Tube, I'll put it up on the stream. And what we have here is essentially a brutally honest tactical analysis of Google's position in the AI market. And the title of the research paper, this internal paper that has been leaked is we have no moat and neither does open AI. And they talk about how the leak of Meta's large language model has kicked off a storm of open source development that has kicked their ass. Things that they had on the major problems we couldn't deal with list that have been licked in just a few weeks. Large language models on phones. He notes that people are running foundation models on Pixel 6 and 5s. 
scalable personal AI. You can fine-tune personal AI on your laptop in an evening now. They thought that would never be possible for years. They think that they have de- people have been demonstrating responsible releases, while maybe not solved. They're pretty close to solving it. And he demonstrates how fast they're iterating on the technology. And he points out that they really have no secret sauce other than they just have what they consider a giant, giant, giant model. They think they have the world's largest model. But he points out in this analysis, maybe they're wrong. And maybe small, more purpose-built models that are agile and usable on other devices are actually the way to go in some cases. And then he criticizes them for not seeing it coming and lays out the obvious signs that the open source stuff would have some serious advantages and that essentially eat away at any moat that Google thought they had and open AI, they point out in here as well. They say, who would pay for a Google product with usage restrictions if there is a free, high quality alternative without them? Yeah, it's it's an interesting take, right? Because Google... It's one, you know, we just got this document, right? This just showed up on our email doorstep. But it does seem if these models can be shrunk down to the size of a phone or similar devices, that that's pretty, pretty rough for the giant AI in the cloud model. I don't know if that makes sense. but The vibe I get is that Google has been rocked by the public's reaction to open AI and chat GPT. They are still reeling internally. And one of the things that they're now questioning is they thought in the end they had it licked because they are very confident in the 10 years they've been investing in this and just the ginormous models that they have, the like just mind-blowingly large, completely non-portable models they have. And his whole point is like, I think we've been going the wrong way this entire time. He also says, by the way, OpenAI is screwed as well. This is from the document, quote, they're making the same mistakes we are in their posture relative to open source and their ability to maintain an edge is necessarily in question. Open source alternatives can and will eventually eclipse them unless they change their stance. In this respect, at least we can make the first move. Again, going back to that, you can still they're they're still reeling and now they want to be first again. And he has a timeline in here that is unequivocal. He shows like February 24th. Meta launches their large language model. They open source it, but not the weights. It's uh, not instruction or conversationally tuned. Right. But it's useful, but it's, you know, small stuff. On March 3rd, quote, the inevitable happens. Within a week, Meta's large language model is completely leaked to the public. He goes on to write, quote, the impact on the community cannot be overstated. Existing licenses prevent it from being used for commercial purposes, but suddenly anyone is able to experiment. From this point forward, innovations come hard and fast. And it's true. He has a timeline here. That happens on March 3rd. Next major innovation, March 12th. Next major innovation where we get this working on a laptop, March 13th. Next major innovation after that to make it real fast, March 18th. Next innovation after that to get the 13 billion model that achieves parity with Bard, March 19th, a day later. Then a couple of days after that, March 25, choose your own model. A couple days after that, March 28th, and another one on March 28th, and on and on and on. In fact, it just gets faster and faster and faster. The moment that large language model leaks from Meta, it kicks off. And now Google's looking at this with this internal document and going, we've just lost our moat. They're innovating in areas we didn't think were going to be solved in a decade. And they've also got it working on on a freaking Pixel 6. <laughs> like, and yeah, maybe it doesn't do everything, but they're purpose training this stuff. And I just find all of this so brutally honest, like the fact that they admit they have no secret sauce, that people aren't really going to be willing to pay for a restricted model if you can do a lot of that work with an open source model. And there is something to that, because here at JB, we're experimenting with a lot of this stuff for our post-production. And we're not even trying the stuff that requires an API. We're just like Whisper and, and other tools that if you can run it locally, we're just using that stuff. And we're not even going to bother. We're just going to put it as part of our product pipeline. It's part of our foundational product that we're building for ourselves. It's, I don't know, it's, it's actually, I think, it makes me feel a little more hopeful. I was really worried that we were racing towards in a massively centralized, everything behind an API, you'll pay for every API call kind of model. 
And to see Google's analysis here, at least this this engineer's analysis, saying that they have no moat and that the open source versions are just rapidly out innovating them, well, there's just so much to unpack there. Like, how can these open source enthusiasts be kicking so much ass compared to what Google's been doing recently? Why are these casuals solving problems that Google said wouldn't be solved for a decade? What's wrong there? And does it mean that we're not going to be locked in this everything behind an API future that I've sort of been dreading for the last couple of months? Your thoughts, sir? Yeah, I think some of the challenge for the big guys here is there's no real way to brand this, right? There's no, you know, AI is not going to be the full pizza. It's going to be the uh, flour used to make the dough, right? You're, you're going to be buying somebody else's product, right? You're going to be buying a smart dog pooper scooper that's powered by OpenAI or, you know, whatever, the Microsoft Sydney, right? I, I don't... Are they really, like, existentially going to get screwed by the open source people? It could be, right? If, if what I think happens... Uh, or if what I think is going to happen happens after, let's say, the next five years, maybe less. If you're building a product, I don't know, like Alice, right? It probably will make more sense to host, self-host your own version, or at least cloud host your own version of an open source thing, than pay the license fees for something like ChatGPT or... I, I always forget what Google's is called. The Bard? Bard, yeah. It's, it's something dumb, right? Yeah, Bard. That's possible, right? We've seen this. Like, why is why are most of the little devices you buy that are made in China secretly running Android, right? Why are a lot of TVs running Android and WebOS? It's the free open source solution is very attractive to to business. It's kind of how Linux won the web servers, right? I I see I see a lot of this being built in as platform APIs. Um, it just seems like crazy to me that we won't have a future that you just tell the computer, I want an image that looks like this. And there's an API that the application uses and the OS actually, you know, runs that job, executes it on the hardware that's properly accelerated and then gives the results back to the application. It's like stable diffusion has kind of just been built into Nextcloud now. And so is Whisper that the transcription services kind of just being built into Nextcloud Hub 4. And I can't imagine you won't see Apple or Android doing the same thing. I mean, imagine all the fun apps that could be, all the fun face apps and stuff that could be built if when you go to bring up the the uh, keyboard to put a sticker on, the other tab is just generate an image using the internal bundled stable diffusion stuff. And that's the kind of thing you get when it's open source is stable diffusion, which seems like this incredible innovation at image generation. Right now we're talking about how it's going to change the world with fake images and make people think presidents are saying crazy things. But the reality is, it's just going to be a tab on a keyboard that generates you a funny sticker that you can dynamically create to put in a chat that's unique. That's going to be the implementation of it. I could see that, right? And there's going to be a strategy tax that, like, if you're on Windows, by default, it's going to be the Bing AI. And if you're on iOS, you're going to have Siri, which we didn't put it in the notes. But there was another leak from the Siri team about it's a freaking joke, right, compared to the other ones. Yeah. I mean, I just not to repeat myself, but it, it's not the finished product, right? It's, it's a part of a finished product. And that's just going to, unfortunately, you know, I I, I kind of want to just back up a little bit, though. Google's problems are not because this is a universal problem. Google has been, I think, in a lot of ways, trying to figure out what their next thing is going to be. Frankly, suffering, right? I don't even know what to say. Remember, like, years ago, they were like, you can book your hotel reservation with our AI, and that just didn't happen. Yeah, I feel like they have they have definitely struggled there. but um. Reading this document, and we'll put a link in the notes, it it made me feel a little bit better. And I wonder now, and I, I just hadn't been in this frame of mind uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I wonder now if we'll even be talking about open AI in 10 years. To me, it seems such like a temporary flash in the pan now. that It's not going to be the product. It's just going to be a feature, and it probably just will get consumed by Microsoft or some other company. And we'll just kind of forget about them. Sort of like we don't talk about PA Semiconductor anymore, but they're at the very essential core of what made the Apple M-Series processors possible. But we don't talk about PA Semiconductor. We, we talk about the Apple M-Series CPUs. And I think that's OpenAI's future as well. 
Well, right. And you got to you got to go back to the 80s a little bit as with everything. It's, you know, remember when the first Macs were out, it was like, oh, my God, a graphical interface. And yeah, sure. We all fight about what looks better, which version of the GUI. But the idea that you would not have a GUI for most users is insane. That That's good what it's going to be like for AI. The For instance, uh, well, we have a real example. Anybody who's old enough like us who had an iPod, right? The idea that you wouldn't just have infinite algorithmically generated music is crazy now. Right? I remember putting in CDs and I used to be a vinyl hipster and like, you know, I remember painstakingly spending hours on the old iTunes for Mac making playlists. Oh, yeah. Ripping CDs, making custom playlists, burning them back to a CD. <laughs> right. now, And it's funny because, like, I am an Apple Music subscriber because I, you know, the stupid bundle, it's insane not to. I know. But every once in a while, I'll dip my toe into the Spotify pool. I'm like, their algorithm is so much better. Oh, so much better. I can't believe how bad Apple Music is. Yeah. Well, Apple Music also, like, it'll play, like, it seems to play songs you've played before. But it doesn't, like, get the mood at all. I'll be listening to, like, Dean Martin, and then it's like, and then X going to give it to you. I'm like, why is DMX here? It doesn't belong here. Right. Thank like, you. Amen, brother. Like, if this isn't one of my number one complaints when I'm going down the road with the wife, like, it just plays songs that are incongruent together. They're just not the right vibe. And Pandora figured this out, like, almost 20 years ago. Like, come on, guys. My 79-year-old dad loves Pandora. Well, they have this aspect, right? The whole music DNA thing. And Spotify is better at this. Um, and the other thing I've noticed that's funny with Apple Music is I'll listen to a song just kind of like on a once off, like, like maybe an old 80s classic. And then I'll just I'll just hit the listen now button and just say, play my favorites. And it, it'll play a song that I've played like once in the last year. And I'm like, wait, 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 what? What? What are you doing here? Dude, my stepdaughter loves like German and Russian metal. And she's in the car and she plays like two songs for a week. I had to suffer with iTunes being like, "You, I know what you want. Yeah, His name is Vlad and yeah. he's screaming. <laughs> that's amazing. Oh, that that's a special kind of experience that you had right there. That's yeah, Apple Music need. <laughs> yeah, it's just for the love of God, Apple, collect the data. I don't care. Like, just just get the data on my playlist or my yeah, figure it out. Habits. Yeah. Before we move on, I want to mention that uh, we do have a jobs matrix chat room, and it's for people that have open positions and people that are looking for a job. It's for both. And uh, five, a frequent emailer into the show mentioned to me that they do have a couple of open server admin positions that have been mentioned in the JB jobs chat room. So if you're looking for work or you're looking to hire, we've created a little community interaction area. You can get to it pretty quickly by just going to bit.ly slash jupiterjobs. And we're just uh, trying to help people make connections in our community while uh, all of this macro stuff is going on. It's just a little bit way to, a nice way to help out. Again, it's bit.ly slash jupiterjobs. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Lino.com slash Coder. Go there and get $100 in 60-day credit, and it's a great way to support the show. And Linode has some exciting news to share. As you know, Linode is now part of Akamai, but all the developer-friendly tools, including the Linode Cloud Manager, the API, and that awesome command line client that help you build, deploy, and scale into the cloud, they're all still available. And now, combined with Akamai's power and global reach, they're expanding their services to offer more cloud computing resources and tools while providing that lovely, reliable, affordable, and scalable infrastructure for yourself, individuals, users, and businesses of all sizes. And as part of Akamai's global network of offerings, data centers are expanding worldwide, giving you even more resources to help you grow your business and serve your customers. So why wait? Experience the power of Linode, now Akamai. Go to linode.com slash coder. Learn how Linode, now Akamai, can help you scale your applications from cloud to edge. Go to linode.com slash coder. It really feels like some of the original people in the AI industry are having an existential crisis. Jeffrey Hinton has quit Google. He's considered one of the grandfathers of AI. He was a recipient of the Turing Award in 2018. And he has recently resigned from Google so he can, quote, speak freely about the, quote, risks of AI. He's concerned about the potential misuse of AI with bad actors. He's concerned about the elimination of jobs and the possibility of AI becoming smarter than humans. 
He was happy with the way Google was managing things, i.e. Google was seemingly being cautious. But then Microsoft and OpenAI changed everything with the AI bot infused into Bing, challenging Google's core business and kind of sparking a code red response inside Google. And now he is worried that the fierce competition that has been ignited will be impossible to stop, resulting in a world with so much fake imagery and text, nobody will be able to tell what is true anymore. And he's uh, going out and about trying to get the word out. The New York Times did an interview with him. He wants to make it clear that he left Google so he could criticize Google without actually hurting them. Like he's not like he doesn't think Google's doing a bad job, but he wants to speak freely and he just wants to not have that attachment. Seems like the industry thinks this guy is a very credible person. They seem to respect his credentials. Um, He's been described as one of the most important founders of AI. So when he uh, speaks up on this topic, people are listening and he's saying that we essentially are creating another atom bomb, essentially. You know, it's kind of an equivalent to one of the original atom bomb engineers coming out and saying, we have to stop the Manhattan Project. I just hate this. I mean, you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, and that's fine. But just the amount of pearl clutching on this AI stuff, which is significant. I'm not downplaying it, right? I'm into it, too. But... It's a little bit much. I have some bacon. I'm very hungry. Go. So, you know, I think, and I don't mean any respect here to uh, Mr. Hinton, who seems to be well regarded in the industry. I am getting the sense that all of the people who are really afraid of AI were people inside Google and other places, and they were creating a culture of being scared of the very thing that they're building. And so you think about this, you kind of select for a team that thinks like that. And they've been working at this for, Google's been working at this longer than anybody. And I wonder if now you have all these people who think they've been really cautious and really thoughtful, kind of getting their feathers rustled because ruffled because they're seeing these, you know, hot shots at open AI that are just coming out and letting people have access to this dangerous stuff. That's why I think we're seeing the volume that we are, because to me, it feels like this narrative is being driven by actual professionals in the industry. And then that is because it's coming from them. It is reaching this level of amplification that we're seeing. And I really don't mean to be snarky about this, but please explain to me how dangerous this can be if you could just disconnect the Ethernet cable. I don't really I don't see the danger. And I think the other problem I have, and I think this is probably one of my most controversial personal opinions that I hold, I don't buy that the whole world's going to get destroyed by fake information. Mm. I actually think people are intelligent enough to suss this stuff out. Now, on the edges, a certain percentage, maybe more than we'd like, sure. But on the whole, I actually think we'd be better off if we just gave everybody all the information and let them make their own decisions and then help people build tooling to identify those things. But you're only going to do that if you let everybody have access to everything. And the only way this is really a scary thing is if you come from the idea that information must be controlled and that if information gets out, it'll cause harm. And that's just bullshit because the only weaponization of information I seem to see is state propaganda like, you know, piss piss tapes and stuff like that about Trump or Russia, Russia, Russia investigations would go on, which go on for six years and turn out to be completely bogus. That's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of fake information doing harm that I see. I don't see images of Elon Musk, you know, riding a bear with Putin harming things. Like I just don't buy it. And I don't buy that people aren't intelligent enough on the whole to suss this stuff out over time. And so I'm not really buying the premise that there's all this danger. And then the practicality of it, well, if you think it's gone wild, Unplug it. Kill the process. Turn it off. Yeah, I mean, I even have, like, even saltier bacon than that. I I feel like something weird has happened in general with the tech media where they're basically wanting to be regulators. And, like, if you look at some of my favorite tech sites, uh, it's very much they're basically covering themselves, like media like, where are all the weird articles about some crazy little company, you know, in Albuquerque that's, like, building a new type of drone? Or, you know, I remember, what, like, 10, 15 years ago, there was all this, like, 
tech blogs, right? Posting about uh, 3D printed uh, hydroponic, you know, produce growing systems, all that kind of weird stuff, which it's cool. Now it's like, it's the thoughtful triangle and I hate it so much. Well, we need to think about the, the, uh, you know, the consequences and the safety, uh, the safety and, you know, yeah, we need to be careful. You know, the, the whole, I, I, I honestly think it happened with the, that stupid, uh, Mark Zuckerberg movie, the, uh, social network. Good movie, right? Michael Eisenberg did a great job, but they portrayed him as such a like sniveling, just like weaselly, you know, whatever. Uh, okay. Like there is a tech blogger who's writing a book that I'm dying to read when it comes out. And I'm pretty sure it's going to feel very much like that with the one exception of uh, Benioff because this person really likes him for some reason. So I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I, I tend to just look at the bottom line here and all these calls for more regulation, all these calls for more restriction actually benefit the incumbent not because you you can't start up right you can't take the risk you can't do the you know wild and crazy take a shot it seems like inevitably it would just create a market situation where it would only be google and facebook and microsoft that well because they can afford it right they can afford the uh the cost of the regulation and google's very document shows they have no technology mode they have their own document shows that but a regulatory moat would do it, right? Like, exactly. Who was one of the biggest uh, advocates for social media regulation? Facebook. So how do you how do you get regulation? How do you get you get everybody freaking out, and then you create an opportunity for politicians to solve a problem, and they love coming to the rescue and solving problems, and um, maybe you could even be lucky enough to make it an election issue, because that maybe that's why they're spinning this up right now is. It becomes an issue in the 2024 race and a presidential candidate is going to be asked about their concerns about AI and how scary it is. And depending on, you know, if they say scary enough, that's going to be, you know, it's going to be a political determination. I mean, I think that's actually where this is going to go. I know it sounds absolutely ludicrous right now, but I actually think that's where it goes. And then I think we get regulation that creates moats. So open source basically has a year. They got a year to get this stuff sorted out and build momentum that can't be squashed. Uh, I mean, although, you know, impotent Congress unable to do most things. Oh, but you know, when you have a boogeyman that is undefinable, that is vague, they can, they can come together real quick to uh, help their rich contributors get entrenched. And they have no problem passing legislation that helps their donors. And Google, by the way, Google is like, one of the absolute largest donors to senators like Elizabeth Warren, who I guarantee you will be one of the chief pearl clutchers on this issue. And she'll probably come at it from a jobs angle because she likes to pretend that she's a populist. The reality is she's getting paid by Google and she'll come at it from a jobs angle and that'll be her whole approach. And we'll get everybody all spun up about it. And the Twitter social bubble will continue to be reinforced. All the safety and trust concerns that we're seeing right now that are being really raised by super intelligent pontificator on Twitters, that will just get even worse. You know, and I just don't buy it. Like, I, I love that Tiny's in the chat room joined us live, but he says, you know, the real problem is, is that AI is going to be so advanced, it's going to convince you not to turn it off. That's going to be the threat. But again, the underlying assumption there is that everybody's so stupid that these things are going to trick them and abuse them. And I actually think. That's the flaw it is it, it comes down to if you have faith in humanity or not, if you have faith in the crowd's ability to suss out the truth or not. And if you do, I don't think you're concerned about the safety and trust of this. And if you don't, I think you are. You are concerned about what people think. You are concerned about misinformation being harmful. And I think it just comes down to like your personal feelings about your fellow man. And then we're projecting that onto the dangers of these AI bots. Oh, I, I totally have no faith in humanity, but that's why I have my weird other take. It's, <laughs> it's because oh, like, that too. Like, I, I, <laughs> like, all right, I'm a big Scott Galloway fan, right? And I think it's fair because he says this crap about himself. Um, and he doesn't care because he doesn't know we exist. So there's that. But, you know, 
it's nice to be like thoughtful and to take up a weird soft Jordan. You know, you notice he's like the Jordan Peterson Diet Coke. <laughs> Have you noticed that? He's like saying the same stuff, but like without the edge. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's Peterson, really Peterson Zero, like the OG Peterson, right? Like the guys got to clean your room, you got to shave. Like, okay, sure, Dad, sounds good. But like, it's really good to be responsible and you know slowly think things through and be thoughtful and lecture when you're already a billionaire when you're the poor 20 something trying to make his or her way playing by the rules is just going to get you burnt i mean it's you're just going to be you're going to be working for one of those guys yeah so i i i think it's just basically pulling the ladder up behind them and i'm i'm really disappointed in big tech sites for honestly like i i I kind of secretly thought they all wanted to work for the New York Times. But when they actually started working for the New York Times, I was like, you guys aren't really tech people. You you wanted to be like Woodward and Bernstein. And that's, you just kind of fell into this. So I don't know, maybe I'm jaded and bitter and, you know, never never meet your heroes, right? Maybe that's really <laughs> what happened here. But like, I, I just, you know, go, go to insert big tech site here, like, and we realize it's all about navel-gazing on their own media nonsense. Tailscale.com slash coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 100 devices. And it's a great way to support the show. So what is Tailscale? It is simple, it is secure, and it is a mesh network for a team of any size built on top of Wirecard. You go from zero to perfectly secure in no time. I say perfectly, that's probably not something they'd say. But I'll say it because it's built on WireGuard's noise protocol. This is the type of application I've been just waiting for. When we saw the early, early days of WireGuard hitting the Linux kernel, this is the type of stuff like the second order effect you wait for. Tailscale lets you easily manage your private resources and spin up a flat mesh network. It's perfect for developers that need to set up ad hoc networking and you don't want to fuss with all the firewalls and the subnets. Maybe you've got stuff across multiple VPS providers or cloud providers, some stuff on-prem. Maybe it's like me. You got some stuff in a VM and stuff and some stuff that's in your cloud provider. That's uh, that's the thing I'll do. And it's just useful for businesses that need to set up a VPN to access their internal networks without hassling with like the VPN server and all of the credentials that go along with that, because this will tie into your existing business authentication infrastructure, including using two factor if you have that implemented. And because the devices connect directly to each other you can actually get incredible performance. Like if you're transferring files over your LAN, it recognizes that. It doesn't bother routing out through the internet. And they don't send traffic that isn't meant for your tailnet over the VPN, so you can leave it running all the time. Unlike the old clunky VPNs, it's like all or nothing. And then they've built a bunch of really great tooling on top of it, like Tailscale SSH, which lets you connect into all of your tailnet devices, or Tailscale Send, kind of like AirDrop for all your devices. And they've recently improved how you can manage DNS and do name resolution in your tailnet. They've launched funnels recently that lets you open up one particular port to a machine if you need to. Of course, they've got ACLs and machine sharing. It's just, it's such a next level networking solution. There's no going back. There's nothing like Tailscale out there. I just love it so much. It's got all of the components and the ease and the variety of architecture support and app store support. Huge for me. Go try it out. You're going to love it. Now you can use it for up to 100 machines. <laughs> it's so crazy and so great. And they actually explain how they make it possible on their blog, too. It's just, it's also clever. It's a pro-consumer move. It's a pro-business move. Try it out. Great tool. Tailscale.com slash coder. That's tailscale.com slash coder. So big tech seems to be doing just Fine. Earnings from Meta, Amazon, and Google, and Intel came out since our last episode. They were all better than expected. In fact, some analysts are even saying, hey, things are turning around. There's not going to be a recession, they're saying. But we'll see. The numbers aren't fantastic. Google's ad revenue increased by 3% year over year. Meta's ad revenue reversed its three-quarter decline with a 3% increase. Which is amazing because the podcasting advertising market has absolutely collapsed. We're looking at a very scary second half a year for the advertising market for podcasts. But the big tech guys are doing all right. And cloud adoption continues to be a growth area for Microsoft and Alphabet, but not so much for AWS. So people are maybe getting better deals and they're moving there. But these guys are doing all right, Mike. 
What's with all the layoffs? Uh, because when you can't grow revenue, uh, cutting costs is much more effective. Yeah, there's that, right? And it's also, like I said a while ago, I think it's signaling to investors that they get that the era of loose spending is over and that they need to tighten the belt. I hate to say this, but so many of these layoffs are just really about signaling that they get that they need to tighten the belt. And it's also about course correcting a bit. Red Hat also just had high, a good profit and they just announced 500 layoffs. Well, and Uncle Elon, I, I got to like, I know people hate him and I'm not, I think he does crazy, shit, but you know, his, I'm just going to fire like 25% of the people and see what happens. And I know like, again, a lot of our favorite tech journalists will try to tell you that bad things are happening. I have not had any issue other than crypto bros on Twitter since he took it over. Like the site works. My only complaint is it's more boring. All right, so this is where we get we get thrown off of iTunes again. I miss Trump on Twitter. It was my morning routine. <laughs> like I'd sit on the toilet, yeah, I would drink my horrible coffee that I would make like overbrew all the time. Sit on the toilet. Isn't he ranting and raving over on the Truthies Night site? You can probably go get his. Uh... I refuse to sign up for that because I'm sure that that's riddled with malware. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I think you can wait him out. He'll come back. Well, especially if you're waking up hungover wondering what horrible things you did the night before only to be able to look at trump's tweets and be like well it was not that bad at least i don't like declare war <laughs> could have been worse <laughs> i get you yeah it isn't as entertaining but i don't really have a, a, a prediction other than we did just see first republic which is like somewhere between the 13th and the 11th largest bank in the country uh just had a forced sale to jp morgan and a bailout so now we've had another bank collapse it seems to me We've had Jerome Powell get pranked. I don't know if you saw this, but some Russian DJs pretending to be Zelensky got Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, on a Zoom call and got him to just casually admit that we're either going to have no growth or a recession. And either one is just as likely starting in the second half of this year. Okay, but we've been saying that for months. Like, that's not like a secret. But my point is, is if you but if if we, we see this doom and gloom, but yet we're still seeing these guys make money. So maybe it's not going to be so bad, right? Maybe we'll slide. Maybe it'll just be a, a like a baby recession. No, it's going to be bad. Yeah, it's going to be. It, it It's not bad if you're like a shareholder of these companies, but otherwise it's going to be bad. Yeah, I mean, these are rich nations, these tech companies. Right. Well, and, and, and you know, this is I, I just I know I'm a broken, uh, broken record today, but this is where you're, you know, the verge of years gone by and even like Ars Technica of years gone by would have been super helpful because they would have had at least one columnist, right, running around and finding the, you know, let's be honest, crazy bro douchebags doing some crazy thing in a garage somewhere or yeah. in some crappy office where they're drunk half the time and, you know, whatever, right? That like sounds they, awesome. I want to work there. I, I literally <laughs> opened one of those. Uh, I don't remember most of it, but uh, they they would have actually, like, given them some oxygen to grow now it's all right, let's just you know what, let's just do this it. let's just theverge.com inside amazon i'm just going to read the headlines yeah inside a little live it, read i love it i love it the gospel according to neil i patel where's the kara swisher you never really know inside amazon canceled plan to make halo a fitness success amazon right let's we're just going to track who we're covering yeah amazon okay okay this is weird. Drake's AI clone. They spent like 40 minutes talking about Drake on their last show. Oh, wow. It's this is like it's like their whole page. This Amazon thing is like, their yeah, whole it's page. like the whole page. And then it's Drake's AI. Then it's Microsoft. Yeah. The Microsoft Activision Blizzard thing is a big deal. That's but actual so, news. Right. I, yeah, fine. But it's the second thing on their list. And we're still third. it's a huge tech company. Third. Amazon. Oh, yeah. First. It's a third. Right. Right. Yeah. Their numbering right. scheme is really. Yeah. The Google Godfather of AI. I have mixed feelings about that, but I would give the benefit. Yeah. But, of course, we keep going, and you find Meta, which is Facebook, Microsoft Teams. Where are the little companies here? That's what I'm saying, right? Apple, Stream Deck. I might give you Stream Deck, actually. I'm a little surprised. Yeah. DeSantis. They are so hard. What does that have to do with tech? Yeah, what's DeSantis? What's this DeSantis story doing on here? Also, why he's doing that is beyond me, but well, yeah, you're like, and maybe it's because the what I perceived or still perceive as tech blogs never saw themselves that way, and this could just be like a expectations mismatch. 
I don't want to overfeed you, Mike, but I got another batch of bacon if you're up for it. I my liver can take anything at this point. Let's do it. I think for places like The Verge, potentially, it started to go sideways with the H1B visa bullcrap. And I remember you called it out early and you got so much pushback. I got hammered. Super hammered. You got super hammered for it. And then a little bit later on, as things evolved, like the verge basically took the position of all the people that were hammering you. And I wonder if that wasn't when things just started to become inherently political. Because that H-1B visa thing was such a huge deal for the big tech companies. And, you know, once you kind of get in with that, you're kind of in with the big tech company club and now you're getting access to their resources and information. And I think it just oriented it all. And it kind of, you know, picked us. They were picking a side. Okay, I could buy that. So so you're saying basically what happens is once you become friends with the people you're supposed to be reporting. Right. It's easier to go to insert random Google executives here, kids birthday party or cocktail or whatever it is. Right. Cocktail hour, whatever wedding than to actually like fly to Albuquerque in my little example. And let's be honest, like most of those companies fail and like 20 year olds are assholes. Right. I could see that a little, but then don't call yourself a tech blog. Yeah. We have this, uh, big, big piece written by Nikki main on uh, Friday that says that the big tech companies found a loophole and colluded and conspired together to game the H one B visa lottery system. And uh, there was collusion all along. And then the process got streamlined in the last couple of years after your buddy Biden came into office. Now all of this information, thanks to a lawsuit, is coming out. So everything I said years ago happened to be true, but I was called a racist for it. Awesome. Yep. Yep. And there won't be, and The Verge isn't going to write this up. I'm surprised Gizmodo ran it. Like, you know, they're a little bit fringe now, I guess, but. Well, also Gizmodo hates Apple. So there's that. Yeah. Yeah, Apple's implicated in there. Google's in there. I mean, well, and like I said years ago, it's certainly the headline is the big tech companies, but the real villains here are the large consulting shops. The that what they do is they get these guys from. You could go back a couple of years. I did a whole thing on this in a particular company. They get these guys. They write the job description to fit the people. Right, the person, so that it seems legit to the government. And they pay them a market wage roughly, but they make them work like freaking dogs. And what they do is they just, remember, consulting is a billable hours game. So you know what they do? They just compete by not billing the goddamn hours. And they make the people effectively work for free so they can say they got the project done on budget when they didn't. And if you talk back to them or you say you won't do that or that's not right, you should be paid overtime. No problem. You're fired. Go back to wherever you came from because the way the H-1B works, you get fired. You have a very limited amount of time. And it used to actually be much harsher than it is now. It used to be like 30 days. You had to get the hell out and you would be deported. So it's it's not a prejudice thing. It never was in one of the biggest scumbags in this area was ibm they love this all the big consulting companies do it it's bad it's abusive to the people it really screws over legitimate homegrown consulting businesses like yes i'm talking my own book right uh but it screws over people like thoughtbot screw right it's it's a tough thing for the smaller or let's just say more naturally growing businesses even if they are large when you know what if i tell somebody they have to work all this overtime and if i maybe they'll help me out once but you know if i repeatedly do that you know they're going to tell me to go pound sand right they're going to get another job and they're going to make more money or they're going to make the same amount of money and get another job whatever so this is not i this should be on all the tech sites and if you are a left-leaning person uh, I thought you guys are supposed to care about workers. Yes, yeah, that's the like, irony. This of is it. actual abuse of workers. It is. It is absolutely. Yeah. And there's a bombshell report we'll have linked that came from the United States Citizen and Immigration Service. And um, they're looking at the data. This problem, the number of people this applies to, has basically doubled in the last year. Some of their data shows that roughly 96,000 people submitted multiple visa applications through the same company accounting for overall 408,000 entries. It's been up and to the right. 
Like this problem has actually gotten worse. And can I just jump us back into the past for the story that got me in a little bit of hot water? Take us, take us back, my friend. Take us. Go ahead. Stay a while and listen. Don't even need the soundboard. Disney nuked like a large portion of their IT department. I think it was like I was still living in Jersey, so it must have been like twenty seventeen ish. And they said, "Oh, they're redundant." At the same time, they hired a bunch of H-1B visas and just changed the job titles, but they were doing the same thing, right? They just, and they just decimated. Like, it, it's such, this is one of the things. It's, if you really look into it and take like more than 15 minutes, you're going to see that there is a whole consulting cottage industry of basically business consultants helping these companies game this very, very broken system. And it's not good for the workers who come in. I mean, I'm sure, you know, when it works out, it works out. But there's a big difference between working on an H-1B for Apple or Google than for working for, I'm not going to name the consulting company here again. But just try to take it away from the, like, flashy, I got to leave my, you know, where I don't want to live and go work for Apple. And look at these, basically, uh, body shops. It's, It's freaking brutal. And it's really like people have had kids here and then they have to, I've heard horror stories. They have kids here and they have to defend themselves to stay here when they get canned by right of their kid being born here. And that's good. They should stay. That's my, my, that's, that's the thing that when I got ripped apart for this, I wasn't saying throw them all out. I was saying you can't abuse people like this. You can't threaten someone with deportation because... You're, you're leading them into a situation with in certain incentives that they can't say no to, and then you have them kept prisoner because their status here in the country is dependent on their employment, so you essentially have them prisoner. And then when the company makes changes because the economy has all of a sudden shifted... Oh, it's bull****. You know why they get fired? Because these scumbag consulting companies underbid jobs to screw over their competitors. Oh, sure. And oh, they just sure. basically expect these dudes to work for free. And I'm sorry, but it's mostly dudes. Right? They're, they're it, buying them and selling them like they're just, you know, yeah. resources that they can trade. Cattle. Yeah, they're cattle. And I, I don't I don't feel that way, but that's how these companies treat them. And No, I, I feel like what, the minute they come here, they should have the same ability to say go pound sand as a, as a native-born person. Exactly. Exactly. You can't you can't have this situation where the employer has all this power. It is it is perverse and it creates natural incentives for the employer to abuse that relationship. And then, like Mike says, you know, these people set down roots, they start building a family and they can get ripped away from them just at the will of the employer. How scary is that? That's horrible. We think it's horrible to have health care uh, attached to employment. Well, what about your entire ability to stay with your family? I mean, it's just wild. What if you've been here a couple years and then all of like you built a life in, let's say, New York or Palo Alto, and then all of a sudden you've got to go back to wherever the f- but you have all these friends, you have family, maybe you're dating somebody. Think about just the human practical issues that will be raised. And again, don't think of the Apple Google plays cases. Look down one or two levels. And I mean, I've heard the story, the st- Google it, the stories are there. It's really. Like abusive managers taking advantage of people over prejudice and just using them as though they're, you know, just machines. I will say they're getting it's getting hard. It's getting harder to find that stuff. It's like that's sort of my part of my bacon. It's like that stuff stopped getting covered a couple of, you know, several years ago. Just it's just really been buried. Yeah. I mean, we're we're beating the crap out of this horse, but it just like if we can just table stakes, all the tech sites have a very progressive bent right let's say why this wouldn't be your top story (laughs) it's crazy to me like for me it's just a moral and yes it's bad for my business when people can like you know do stuff like this but yeah and you can't say they don't wage in they don't weigh into politics because they got a story about DeSantis up there right now so it's like you can't you can't wave the hand and say yeah but it's guys that's not a tech story yeah well they're clearly getting into non-tech stuff so like Anyways. Yeah, I mean, also, if, if you're ever thinking of suing Disney, don't. <laughs> yes. What a waste of money and time. Those lawyers were actually British common law lawyers. They were uh, Queen's Council or King's Council back in the 1700s. It, because they're immortal, they're literally vampires. You're going to lose. <laughs> Ask not what your podcast can boost for you. 
But what you can boast for your podcast. Mr. Cospelin came in yesterday with 3,690 sats for the donation of the Please Don't Die goal. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not even joking around. I I am terrified uh, about the rest of this year. I just haven't figured out a way to talk about it on air that isn't, you know, panicky. So it's it's going to be wild. JB survived 2008, and uh, we'll see where we go. But yeah, it's such a it's such a it's such a bad advertising market. It's the worst advertising market I've seen in, you know, well, actually 18 years. Uh, all right. Uh, Astromus comes in with a row of adorable little duckies. Look at that one. He says, initially I was saving up for a zip code boost for Linux unplugged on fountain, but 90,000 sats takes a long time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, while I'm out there doing yard work and others, I, I like to listen. I also live in California and I get some gloomy weather too. When I don't feel like going outside, I play Beat Saber and track it as fitness gaming on my Apple Watch under the other category. Love it. That's, hmm. You know, Beat Saber is a, you know, that kind of stuff is where the quest really shines as well. Is like that, like the lightsaber, Beat Saber stuff. I should, I should think about, I should think about some sort of game that makes me physically active. It goes on to say, keep up the great work and hope to see you at Linux Fest Northwest. Me too. Linux Fest Northwest. Keep it on your radar, everybody. Dave Jones, the pod sage, comes in with 12,112 sats. With Apple's logic, what if all the major browsers started charging 10% on top of all transactions done through their browser? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, after all, that browser's providing the infrastructure. Why would you even put that in the universe? <laughs> yeah, Dave, Dave, what have you done, Dave? What have you done? Google's over there like, forget AI, we got this. <laughs> we don't need it, yeah. Uh, Danny42 comes in with 5,000 sats. Uh, if you find out what the price is for Codium Enterprise, please let me know. I'm interested to find out, but not interested enough to send an email. <laughs> I am working on that. It is uh, people don't like to tell you prices. Fun fact. Yeah, let me get on a call with you. We'll do a demo. You have, do you have an hour this next Thursday? I can walk you through it and we'll, we'll bring on our engineer. And, you know, it's like, oh, God, I just want the price. <laughs> Somebody do it for us or eventually we're going to have to break down and do it. No, I, sh I should have it for next week. Oh, OK. If, but I am going through the demo with you. Hmm. Mere Mortals podcast comes in with a row of ducks. Do you guys have any limits for where you would not allow AI to help or take over? I'm noticing a lot of services that will now automatically do clip or editing a video, which could be a huge time saver if it's done well. You know, things like show notes I'm 50-50 on. The next step is recommending topics and ways to present because this is what will go viral. I think that's too far for me. So do you have a line on uh, where you would allow AI to uh, influence the coder program? Have you thought about like uh, AI editing or AI topic suggestions? You know, it would be funny to do an AI soundboard, I think. Oh, yeah. If it could listen in real time and just inject sound bites, you mean? Yeah, like because maybe we'd come up with some new memes, right? We have Jar Jar. We have uh, Deckard Kane, We have uh, my love of the EU. But yep. I wonder what AI would come up with. Yeah, that could be fascinating. Uh, I, I think one of the things that's going to be really positive is when we, when the things are fast enough to do real-time transcription and then analysis on top of that. Because I wonder if you couldn't at some point have auto-generated podcast chapters. So many podcasters are just too lazy to do the chapters. And it's such a nice thing for the listener. But maybe one day you could have something kind of suss out the main topics and automatically generate a chapters file for you. That would be great. You never know. I I actually use the AI tools pretty heavily to get things rolling, but I generally take the editorial role myself. I I I think where I personally draw the line, mere mortals, would be at generation of my voice. Um, mm. maybe. Although I could all if I I could also see creating if it sounded good, if it was legitimately listenable. And I had editorial control over what was said. I could see a scenario where we had a breaking news feed and you just subscribe to that. And I just, you know, the voice version of me, you know, automatically creates a quick like FYI, this is what's going on in the world right now. A four minute podcast you download. It's been generated by our own system to get you the information that we maybe put together the, you know, what it says and the information behind it. I could see that maybe, but I wouldn't see it in like, Mike and I can't do an episode for this week, so we have the AI generate our voices and do the show. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Unless, you know, 
it's more popular. <laughs> Unless there's money. <laughs> Magnolia Mayhem comes in with 16,969 sets. Uh, he says, uh, I know that it was a joke with uh, comments regarding cuts around ChatGPT, but my mom seriously sent me a video of Michael Knowles wearing, uh, warning people that Dolly and Stable Diffusion were inhibited, or I'm sorry, inhabited by demons. Nice. And that that's how the images are actually being generated. I don't think he actually believes this, but you know, there's a number of people who believe it and will take action accordingly when opportunity presents itself. This kind of headwind that new tech gets hit with. This is the kind of headwinds that new tech gets hit with. And I wonder if it's not better for new technology to spend the first decade or so out of the public eye. Hmm. I think that's what's been going on. I think it has been kept out of the public eye for the last decade. Yeah, I think that makes sense, right? In some basement. And I think you'll always have an, a fringe edge that kind of takes it to the extreme like that. I think that's part of the natural process. Uh, and I don't know if you want to invalidate something just because a certain percentage of people can't wrap their head around it. Um, there's a lot of things in my life that have been like that. Linux was a massive uphill battle, and my credibility was constantly brought into question when I would pitch it You know, back in the early aughts. I'd say the same thing for podcasting. It's still awkward to tell friends and family that I am a full-time podcaster. It's still weird. It's like not considered like, like if I told them I wrote a book... I would gain so much respect and understanding from my family that just even thinking about it right now makes me emotional. But I can work every day for 18 years straight producing content that involves hours and days of research and production and an entire team working together to produce the content all over the world. And that doesn't impress them. But if I wrote one book, if it was a book about podcasting even, and I find that just sort of amazing that there's these types of things that people just can't wrap their head around. I think Bitcoin is another one of them. And some of them like Linux and open source and Bitcoin will become self-evident at their own natural rate. And then by the time you get there, you, you don't get credit for being an early observer because at that point it just becomes so common and obvious that, well, yeah, of course, of course, everyone would have Linux in their pocket. Of course, every web server runs Linux. Of course, every router is Linux-based. Of course, your Wi-Fi access point runs Linux. Of course, your refrigerator runs Linux. What do you think? Yeah, of course. What, what do you, why is that weird? Of course, TiVos are fine. We don't have a problem with TiVos. There's no, there's no such thing as TiVoization. What's the issue? I don't understand the problem. Like, but they were absolutely massive controversies and laughed. The idea that you could run Linux on a mobile device. You can't even run, you can't even run Linux on anything but an x86 computer. Like, it's not possible. Like, it's, you can't run Linux on ARM. It's not possible. It doesn't work on ARM. What are you talking about? Like, that, it's, it's so many things over the years of tech that years down the road become self-evident, but at the time create all this controversy and all this argument. And it's always the way it's been, and it's our natural process. And you always have people on the fringes that are the Luddites of that particular wave. And it's just the, the nature of the human being, I believe, is people get to a certain point in their life, that thing that's being disrupted by this new wave isn't a problem for them, and so they don't recognize the need. Another term for this is privilege. You can turn you can turn it how you like. That was long. Sorry. but No, it makes sense. My thoughts. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send people this week before we get out of here? Uh, let's do at Timonuko on Twitter and Alice.tev. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. Uh, we appreciate the support. You can support the show every month directly by becoming a member at coderqa.co. And then you get an ad-free version of the show. Uh, or you can support all the shows at jupiter.party. And again, that's a monthly membership, and we appreciate it very much. Or you can support each individual production at the amount that you see fit for the value received by boosting. There's two ways to do that. You can get a new podcast app at newpodcastapps.com and join the podcasting 2.0 revolution. Or keep your dang podcast app. Get Albie. At getalbi.com, you can top it off directly inside the Albi app or using something like the Cash app or Strike. And then head over to the Podcast Index. You'll find the Coda Radio program there, and you can just boost from the website. Keep your dang podcast app. I'm fine with that. Thank you, everybody who does boost in uh, below the $2,000 cutoff or streaming sats. Really do appreciate those. Comes in on the dashboard. It always makes us smile. You can get more of the show on Twitter as well, at Coda Radio Show. And, of course, links to what we talked about today those are at coder.show slash 516. There's lots of great Jupiter Broadcasting shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com. We had a really fun meetup last weekend, and uh, 
we shared a hilarious adventure that we took with the meetup crew in Linux Unplugged. If you haven't caught that, check out linuxunplugged.com. It'll really make you smile. It's a really fun episode. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. And we'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>